So today with HelpAlongYourWay.com podcast, we have Michael Cook from Hills Diapon. So welcome, Michael. Uh, thanks, Edward. I appreciate being here. Sure. Um, Holy Despair, that's uh, the new release uh, that's out on Bombworks Records, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So where did the name Holy Despair come from? Um, you know, I, there was no particular moment of, of you know, uh, epiphany or anything like that. Um, but uh, when we first got the offer from Bombworks uh, to do a full-length album in 2008, uh, which turned into Infinite Titanic, um, we had really we were really into concept albums at the time. I think Demo Borgir's and Sorte Diaboli had just come out. We're huge Camelot fans, uh, so like the uh, Epica and Black Halo were. We just love them. Um, so we, we wanted to do something concept, and that's when we did it. So we just had despair in our minds that that was just, you know, and it, it really didn't turn into a concept album. We just kind of had that thing in the in the back of our minds that just kind of human depravity in general and, and that effect on us. So, and then that was just still around for Omens. And it, so it's kind of been something that we've been working with for three albums now. And so for, for the third one, we, we really wanted to, uh, kind of distill that a little bit and actually be a little more upfront about what we've been talking about this whole time, uh, lyrically anyway. Yeah. Um, so then the question was, well, do you just call it despair? Do you, you know, it, it, is there going to be an adjective? Um, and I, I think the uh, holy despair uh, just... I don't know. I, I think it kind of, uh, for one, just puts it in a whole other light because, uh, especially uh, as a Christian, I'll, I'll, you know, it, the assumption is, well, despair is a bad thing. You know, uh, anger is bad. You know, and, and there, there's in just Christian culture in general, there's a, you know, well, let's let's have major chords and happy thoughts and everything's good, right? And I'm not so sure that's necessarily helpful to have that all the time, um, which is kind of what why we've been not necessarily negative, but we, we don't really go out of our way to focus on the happy things in life, you know, because I think if, if we, you know, if we have to, to come to a place in our lives when we realize what's really going on, and that's not necessarily a good, a positive thing. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm being exceptionally clear here, but I, th- I think despair is, um, I, I guess I'll say it like this, despair is probably the, the first uh, moment I think for a true religious experience where you where you come to know God, and so so that's where I guess holy comes from. It's a holy despair. It it flowed right. It seemed to be saying what we wanted to say, or at least setting up what the album was going to be uh, coming out with. And um, I know. Uh, and then as soon as we had decided on the album title, uh, Crimson Moonlight, we saw them. We played with them in uh, Elements of Rock in Switzerland, and uh, they they came out with their new song, uh, Divine Darkness. And so I I emailed. Uh, uh, Pilgrim and and said, hey, hey, that's not going to be your new album title, is it? Because uh, I don't want to have another uh, accidental ancestor, you know, omen and he'll die upon omens, and then we're going to have Holy Despair, they're going to have Divine Darkness. Uh, so, but he assured me that uh, that they weren't uh, anywhere near uh, close to releasing their album, and that was not the the album title. So, I think we've dodged another bullet on this one. Very good, very good. So, it, it, you would, so I guess I would sum it up as the culmination of the first three. In thematic experience, does that sound accurate? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a very good way of putting it. Okay, cool. Um, so, 
there's one track, Odeth, <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. musically, it seems to pull from Nordic black metal influence. Um, uh, is that an accurate statement, or is it a stretch? I'm thinking specifically um, Immortal. Yeah, you know, I guess I never really, uh, I guess I never really thought about it in those terms. Um, I, I think what the band that we had really had in our minds when we when we wrote that was um, Trypticon, um, because we were, we you know, we, my brother and I didn't really like we didn't grow up on black metal or anything, so we're kind of like still going back and like figuring out who Celtic Frost was, you know, and like Monotheist was really like the big album that we really dug by them, especially Adam, um, and so then when when Tom G came out with Crypticon, it was just like, holy crap, this is the heaviest thing on the planet, you know? Um, so really got into them. And we, we'd known that we wanted to do another folk cover uh, for this album for, like, I mean, as soon as we came out with Omens, we knew we had to do another one. It was just so much fun. Um, and I think there's just a lot of, a lot of people in the metal community are kind of like looking back at folk music now and taking it seriously, which is really cool. Um, so especially for, you know, for a couple of guys in the middle of Illinois, you know, that's, it's just it's just everywhere around here, you know. Um, so so yeah, we, we had known we wanted to do it though forever, um, but we never figured out how we were going to do it. And so we actually had one rehearsal right before uh, the recording started, where we still were like, okay, we're just practicing the songs, getting ready to record, and we still haven't actually figured out any sort of arrangement for Odeth. You know, we don't have any idea what we're going to do. And we tried a few things, and it just wasn't working, you know. And I was actually kind of doing more blast beats, you know, kind of... I didn't have Immortal in mind, but maybe going for a faster kind of, you know, uh, approach. And then Adam was just like, just think Trypticon. That's all he said, you know. And then it was, just, and then it just fell in the place, and we played, like, the entire song without even thinking about it, you know. And it just worked out perfectly. So, it, uh, yeah, I guess um, that that's uh, who we were probably trying to I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it turned out very well. So, you know, I, I want to touch on the, on the folk influence in just a little bit. But you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, you just putting the, the track together and everything. And one thing that that stood out were the the, the female vocalist, or was the yeah. female vocalist. So, if y'all play that live, how is that part going to be handled? Because um, I, I don't get to attend a lot of live shows, but one thing I, I try to do is catch up on you know YouTube or DVDs, and sometimes if there's you know, guest singers, whatever, playing, they either show up live and do it, uh, or that part is completely missing from the song, and it sometimes is an essential element, in my opinion, right. you know, to that song. So how, how do y'all handle that, or how will you handle it? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, I think the... Definitely the... Um, uh, uh, Timber's vocals on the on the chorus are, is a huge part of it, you know, and her, her harp bit at the end, you know, is just mm-hmm. phenomenal. Um, Adam really worked with her well in getting all that put together, you know, and first time I heard it, I was just blown away. Um, so, yeah, as far as re- re- recreating that live, I have, we haven't really got there yet. We're actually currently in the process of, like, retooling for 2014, 2015, you know, so we're not sure of the set list or anything. Um, yeah, I, I don't think uh, we'll obviously be able to find a harp, uh, to, to be able to do that live, you know, it's a pretty uh, rare instrument to find. Um, yeah, I, at, at this point, I'm guessing we'll probably try and see how it sounds without it. Um, mm-hmm. And if the song holds up, you know, we'll pr- we'll probably go ahead and do it. Um, and, you know, if it's just 
missing too much, you know, if it's not going to bring the same atmosphere, you know, then we'll probably just wait until we can find out an alternative uh, method to hiring her to come up from Nashville every time we play a show. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things that, you know, some of, like, as you know, some of the artists do, you know, bands, you know, they'll have a hard disc playing, you know, they'll mix it in well with the live sound, so it sounds as if it's live, you know. Um, and one thing I, I did mention to uh, Insafarum a while back, um, it, you know, is an idea of, you know, when you're going to, like, a larger place, a city um, that maybe has universities, you know, reaching out to the local universities, you know, for some of their musicians, you know, come mm-hmm. in, learn the part, and play live, you know. Uh, but that's just a thought. But, you know, and that kind of leads me to the next backtrack of, of the folk music influence. So for me, I'm, I'm really into folk music. So besides metal and symphonic music, folk music is my, you know, one of my three leading musical tastes. And Insafirm has really opened me up to that whole folk-infused music. And so that's led me yeah. to backtrack into in the history, which I never knew existed, kind of like you talked about with Triptychon and Celtic Frost. So uh, with with the music in A Hill to Die Upon, is there going to be a convergence with more folk elements, uh, or is it just periodic, sporadic, in terms of lyrics? You know, uh, probably not to the to the extent that, like, Inspiram does. Um, we've, we've talked about, like, getting a keyboard player for years, but it's just never seemed to be quite important enough in the songs that we write to to, to necessitate a whole other person, you know, for every show. Um, there, there's the kind of, like, elements here and there and a cover song here and there. You know, um, I, I don't think it's something that we're going to change into into the the you know American folk black metal band. You know, um, yeah. I think there's definitely uh, something to be said for that. You know, and I'm I'm still trying to uh, twist Adam's arm into um, uh, so we can use a steel guitar on the next uh, next album. But uh, so far, I've I've not had very much luck. So if anyone wants to you know get on Facebook and uh, <clears throat> help me with that, that would be great. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> If we did anything, you know, like we might do like an acoustic version of one of these songs we've already done, you know, but probably not much more than that. Right. Okay, that's kind of what I was guessing, but I wasn't sure. So, um, you know, A Hill to Die Upon is is, is mainly the heart of, of the group is, is what I would consider the brothers cook, right? So Michael, you, mm-hmm. uh, and your brother Adam. Yeah. And yeah. you... Emulate, I should say mirror very closely the progression of... of um, Babbitt Brothers from Pantera. Not necessarily the style, but in terms of how there's progression and continuous improvement. And just when you think the album can't get any better, the next one comes out and you're like, how did that happen? You know, it's it's even a better sound than before, right? So what I want to know is, uh, knowing y'all are brothers, and I, last time I spoke with you, I think y'all um, kind of lived out in the country, had your own uh, cabin or, or house. Um, living together. So what accounts for the lockstep uniformity in the sound and the rhythms besides being blood brothers? Or is that just it? You know, I, I think a lot of it just has to do with the... Um, well, I guess we're, we're both pretty big. Uh, if, if you talk about the nature-nurture uh, 
talk of so- sociology, um, we both lived very similar lives, and we were homeschooled, and we, you know, we would hunt and go, like, you know, do construction with our dad together. You know, so uh, just a lot of our lives have been very similar. He would get into a music. I would get into a style of music. You know, we were both um, big war history buffs when we were, like, 12. You know, so buff, obviously, was, like, not really... We really didn't. We just studied, like, we read books. We didn't really, like, actually study. But, you know, um, so we've always been into a lot of the same things, you know. So he gets into Triptychon. He listens to it a lot. I'm riding with him a lot. I get into Triptychon, you know. Um, he gets into Behemoth. I get into Behemoth. You know, um, he gets into 1349. I get into 1349. Um, you know, and obviously some things, it doesn't uh, happen like that. Obviously he's got really gotten into a lot of electropop, in like uh, kind of this new underground wave of um, indie pop that's happening, uh, where it's just it's it's very electronic. It's very well written songs, you know. All this he's just like so into that, you know. Um, and I'm not so much into that, but I've actually been getting into country music a lot lately. And um, he's definitely not into country music in any way, shape, or form, um, except for like Johnny Cash, you know. Um, so yeah, I think it's just we've we've lived together. You know, um, I think last time we talked, we we both lived um, in. Uh, there's my parents have a loft apartment in their barn, um, which is actually where I'm at right now. Um, and uh, we we were both living there, you know. So we're always watching the same movies, watching, listening to the same music. Uh, I currently live in Columbia, Missouri, right now, actually. So um, we're about four hours apart now. Uh, so there's obviously a lot less that's happening, um, and we don't practice quite as much. Uh, on a regular basis, we kind of just, we get together before we play shows and rehearse, you know, I try to keep up my speed, you know, on practice pads and things like that, um, because I'm, I'm doing country music more on a regular basis, you know, Hill that I upon happens, you know, in these, like, these spurts of, like, you know, two-week tour, you know, or go over to Europe kind of thing like this, um, so I just try and keep up my stamina, but uh, I'm kind of getting sidetracked <laughs> as to your original question. Um, you know, I think it's just... Uh, any any sort of communication that happens between people as far as like when you when you get a group of guys that have played together for a long time. I think we just had a huge head start just being brothers, you know. And so mm-hmm. we started playing along the POD uh fundamental elements of Southtown. Like we just put that C D in and turn it up all the way and then like he would play the chords to it, you know, and I would just play this beat along to it, you know, and we're like, Sweet, we're POD now, you know. And it was terrible, but you know we just we always just kind of played together, and we never really really fought as brothers. We always got along pretty well. Um, so I think it's just kind of that we we always kind of knew each other's rhythms and things like that. So playing in a band together has been a lot easier, you know, because he can look at me and kind of like jerk his hand a little bit, you know, and I'm like, oh, I, he wants more China symbol, you know, or I can I can bob my head in a certain way, and he knows whatever I'm trying to tell him by bobbing my head, I don't know. Um, yeah, so I think it's you've been acquired... 23 years together. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So uh, you mentioned you're in Columbia, Missouri. So are you there for a country music career, or how did you end up there? Well, I actually ended up there because I got an offer from the University of Missouri uh, to 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 do a grad program. Um, so I, I, my mom uh, actually works at the Monmouth College here, um, in, in Monmouth, Illinois, and so I was able to get my, my bachelor's degree, and I double majored in English and classics, so I did, like, lots of 19th century literature stuff, and then I did Greek and Latin and archaeology, and then, um, so I just kind of applied to one grad school, just kind of off the cuff, just like, well, hey, why not, 
um, and my professor would give me a week off of homework to apply. So I was like, hey, hey, a week off of homework. Um, so I, I did, and they, they offered me um, a part-time assistantship. And so I was like, oh, well, hey. <laughs> so I went down, and I tried to bone up on my Greek and Latin um, before the summer before. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I moved to Columbia. Uh, my girlfriend moved down there as well. She was, like, a couple blocks away, right right on the other side of the college. And um, she's uh, the one who sings on... Uh, Jester and the one who sang on the end of Omens. Uh, she's the she, she's the other female voice. Um, okay. And so so we were down in Columbia, and um, you know I did a semester of the grad program, you know, and I really enjoyed the people. They're really great. It's a really great department. Um, but I was just kind of like, you know, I don't I don't really want to do this for the rest of my life. You know, I like reading Greek. I like reading Latin. I'm okay at it. I'm not great, but. You know, I, I don't want to be in, in 30 years. You know, if, if I'm going to have to spend 60, 70 hours a week doing something, I would either rather play drums for 60, 70 hours a week, or do construction for 40 or 50. You know, um, I, mm-hmm. I enjoy construction and everything, and it's had. You know, we've been doing it with my dad since we were old enough. Um, so, so it's just like, yeah, I just, you know, I want to, I want to give my life to something that I, I really enjoy. You know, and there is a, there's a just a little honky tonk kind of club there in Columbia, and they had live country music come through, you know, and that's kind of when I really started to enjoy the not like you know there's like high art where it's like you know you go and you watch a band and you're like yes I appreciate what they're doing you know it's like you go and see Emperor, you know, and it's like yes their music is fabulous you know, not really a huge Emperor fan but you know they're the example. Yeah. You know, and then you go see a cover band, you know, who just plays hits from the radio, and people just go nuts for it, you know, because they're having a great time. And, you know, it's like, I think that's when I finally started to appreciate that side of, of music, of just, you know, giving people a good time, you know, and especially for Hill That I Upon, it's like, you know, we're used to playing to 30 people, where maybe five of them are really enjoying it, and the other, you know, and so, because just with the way the world is right now, our fans are spread all throughout the world, throughout the world, so... It, it, it's hard to connect to people like that sometimes, you know. And then it's and then when like we we played out in uh, Colorado, and two people showed up for us in particular. Um, there was you know like fifty or sixty people there for the other bands, um, you know. But there was like those two people, you know, uh, Taylor Hardy who plays drums for uh, El Gabor now, and uh, Cody Main, uh, fellow archaeology student. Um, and you know it was just it was great to have that kind of connection, you know. too. so th- there's good and good good and bad sides to it both of it. Um, so, yeah, now, now I've totally rabbit trailed. I don't even remember what the uh, question was anymore. <laughs> That's okay. It doesn't uh, matter. This is good good content. So, uh, what inspiration did Dietrich Bonhoeffer have on this album? Oh, my God. Tons. Um, oh, wow. Um, well, if, if, any of, if anyone listening is a fan of VeggieTales, um, Eric Metaxas uh, has written, I think, several episodes of Veggie Tales, um, and he's written several biographies. And he wrote he wrote uh, a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Bonhoeffer, um, and it's like a 450 page story about him, and it is unbelievable. Um, I read The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer a couple years ago. Um, it was actually on our trip to uh, the first Nordic Fest. Um, I read on the plane. And then, but I, you know, there's just so much about his life that is just unreal, you know, um, just, I, I mean, the whole, the whole Nazi thing happening, you know, that's just always, 
going to be a crazy ride no matter what you're hearing about, you know. Um, right. But I think one of the things that really, really struck me about him was the, on, on one hand, the it's, it's just will, willingness to not put up with the crap of of the general church at the time who was really catering to the, the Nazi parties, you know, and, you know, they were right. like, well, the Old Testament is just, it's, it's awfully Jewish, you know, so we can't really give our sermons from the Old Testament, you know, because, you know, no, well, no one likes the Jews if you're in Germany, if the, you know, but there was, there was plenty of people who were just like, you know, this is crap, we're going to go start our own church. And uh, so they started the Confessing Church, and, um, you know, just, I mean, just to be honest, the, the balls that it takes to do something like that and to stand back and realize, you know what, the Lutheran Church right now is not in a good way. They're too buddy-buddy with the powers that be. The powers that be are way out of line. We need to separate ourselves, you know. I I think that's very admirable, you know. Um, and I think what, what really struck me, uh, in particular considering the folk music thing, um, is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer came to America and he was he was studying at Union. I, th- I think he was studying at Union University at the time, and he found it just theologically way too liberal and was just so over it. He was just not impressed at all with America and with American Christianity. He was just like, "Gosh, you guys are just so watered down," you know, and um, which at the time, you know, blows all my stereotypes out of the water. But I'm, you know, I'm just like, okay, well, if that's what he was saying at the time, I don't know what he was thinking. You know, I don't really know 1940s American theology that well. Um, but he was just, he wouldn't even, he wasn't even going to church anymore because the churches were just so terrible. And then one of his friends said, hey, well, come, come to my church in Harlem. And, and it was a black church. And he went, and he was just blown away. Because he was like, ah, I see now. The African-Americans in, in America, they've still got real Christianity. The white people have totally lost it. You know? And I was just so blown away by that. that it, Not only did he recognize that, but just the stereotype that a, a, a German from 1940s you know, would, would recognize that and not have any problems with it. You know, it just blows away the, the stereotype you know, that also all Germans from the 1940s were racist. You know? Um, because then he would he just went to Harlem for church, you know, and he fell in love with African American traditional music, and would take back records to Germany and show all his students, you know, um, and so that's why the quote then about uh, the traditional music uh, made it in the album, you know, because he was just like so impressed uh, by the religion, by the the culture in general, and by the music, you know, and it was just like, wow, this is a story that I've never heard before. Um, and it works so well with everything we're doing doing in our album. Uh, so there's a bit of German that is uh, in "Let the Ravens Have My Eyes," which is actually um, a quote from Bonhoeffer. That's uh, something about if well, shoot, now I've lost it. Uh, if if you're if you've boarded a train going the wrong direction, basically, do you get off or do you walk the other direction? You know. Yeah, that's what it was. It, does it profit you to walk the wrong, you know, the other direction on a train that's going? I don't know. Look it up. Goodness, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not being very clear with that. Um, but I think that's what he was basically thinking with the, the Lutheran Church at the time. That there was no, 
use at the, at that time to try and steer the Lutheran Church in another direction. He just wanted to to jump ship. Um, anyway, that that's so that's what that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer was there. Um, it's just a, a very fascinating life and a lot of interesting ideas that fit with the album very well. So, I, you know, you mentioned the book, um, the, uh, yeah. the biography. I'm currently reading that. Um, oh, very fabulous. fascinating, as you said. Um, <clears throat> and he's now one of my new heroes, right? So, um, as you've read about him, uh, have you come across Corey Tin Boom? You know, I I know the name. I, I I have a vague recollection of the story. Um, I have the book, and then I think I sold the book, and then I think I got the book again. Uh, the Hiding Place, right? Yes, there you um, go. And I've never I've never read it, so I feel like a, um, a slacker. Um, <laughs> what helps is if that's one you'd recommend. Yeah, it is a book I would recommend. Um, in, in fact, she um, there's a, there's a, a website that I found some of her I guess recorded sermons. Not I guess I mean they were, uh, and to have um, a lady preacher is something that's unheard of, you know, back then especially. Uh, but she really speaks a lot of truth, you know, from her experience, uh, and she's able to apply it to Christian life, not just then in the 70s when she was recording this or talking, but it can really apply everywhere. You know, it's just, one, she's one of those gifted, very strong people like Dietrich that just tells you like it is, and as they tell you, they explain how it works, and that explanation is kind of a tool, right, to help you apply yeah. it, you know, that, that biblical principle. But I just thought I'd, you know, ask you about that. Yeah, well, I'll, def- I'll have to uh, look look into her again. So uh, the, the next section I'm going to talk about is, is live. So we know uh, the Cook Brothers are permanent band members, founding members. Uh, so when you incorporate the skills of live members, what is what I would consider the training process for them to come up to speed and learn the new material? And how long do they usually take? Uh, as far as that goes, it usually depends on the person. Pardon me. Um, like, for instance, um, our, our bass player, uh, Josh Christensen, actually just, just kind of stepped out. Um, and he actually wasn't even a bass player. Uh, he was a, um, a drummer. He's actually like one of my first drum students. Um, and the first, like, death metal band he ever heard was Hill to Die Upon when he was, like, 13, you know. And then he's, so he's, like, 18, you know, and we're like, hey, you, you kind of, like, have an idea of what notes are on a bass, right? Okay, cool, you're playing bass right now. He's like, all right, cool. So you know, that took a while to get him, you know, up, up, to, up and running, you know, and just like get his finger strength and dexterity. You know, he's a very quick learner for someone who hadn't really played bass yet. He played a little guitar, you know, but just like some basic folk songs and some punk songs. Um, I think, uh, but his uh, his band, uh, No Punk Influence, has actually just released their first album on Bumper Punk Records, and so they're they're doing a lot more right now. Um, so he had to step out because, you know, it takes a lot of energy to keep up skill on an instrument you don't really play on a regular basis, you know, so so that that kind of, you know, that was like, you know, several months in getting him up to speed. Um, my girlfriend's brother played a couple shows with us and he's just phenomenal at guitar, you know, so he like came in and just pretty much Adam sent him the tabs and he knew everything, you know, so he just kind of came in and was like, alright, fabulous, you know everything, great. 
Um, I think he only did a couple shows with us. Um, um, so, yeah, it just kind of depends on the person's skill and ability to, to jump in, really, and learn. Because there's a few things that we do different from the albums, you know, so then it's like, well, okay, well, how quickly can you pick up these little things, you know? Um, this little part we added in Twin Heads of Vengeance or the, the way we've changed this song or whatever. Um, but usually people are pretty pretty quick about it. Um, and uh, our old guitar player, Elisha Mullins, who plays for the burial now, um, he tabbed pretty much everything out for Infinite Titanic and Omens. So we've got tabs for all of that. And um, Nolan was with us when when we recorded Holy Despair, so he knows everything. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of depends, I guess. Yeah, um, okay. The player. One so way of saying... Go on, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so when you go, go on tour, um, like specifically Europe, uh, what size is your drum kit, or, or how many pieces do you play on? Uh, did you say in Europe? Yes. Okay. Um, well, uh, pretty much whatever they have. Um, usually, because I never take a full kit to Europe. Um, usually what I do is take um, a snare drum. You know, I've got the uh, Joey Georgeson signature snare drum, which is really just, whether you like it or not, or not it's a fabulous drum for metal. Um, but So I'll take that, just so I know I can always have a good snare drum at least. Um mm-hmm. I'll usually take my my axis pedals because I'm just really used to playing them. Um, maybe I'll take my cymbals, you know. Um, but usually I try to borrow those as well. So I take you know sticks, pedal, and snare, and uh, just kind of make do with what I got then when I get there. Because j- taking a whole kit over there would just be massively expensive, and usually we have to pay for our own plane tickets already. So you know. Uh, you know, a trip to Europe is like a thousand dollars. You know, so then mm-hmm. adding on drums to that, it would just be over the top. So, so yeah, usually with just whatever they have, and, and usually it's pretty good because a lot of European venues have backlined gear, uh, or we're playing with a band that we know. Um, for instance, we played with Ascendant the last time we played in um, Denmark, and um, Levi, their drummer, has played bass for us before um, here and there. And so, you know, he like he let me borrow his whole kit, you know, so I just set up my, my pedal and went. Um, so that was that was really cool. Um Yeah. So okay. just, just usually whatever they have. Yeah. All right. So I I've not had the, the opportunity to see all live yet, which I hope to someday. So um when you put on the live show, is it just all about the music or is it about a combination of the music and the visuals and the lighting atmosphere? Yeah, it's very much about everything involved. Um, we're very, uh, you know, it's like, well, we have five senses, you know, so we, we, we better be engaging them all, um, which is pretty much the reason we've kept doing the, the face paint and the blood and everything, because, you know, it's just, we can, we can you know, we can be five guys or four guys or three guys or two guys, you know, up there playing songs, you know, but if it's not, fun to watch, you might as well be listening to the CD, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, we're like, yeah, well, let's go all out. Well, let's get candles. We'll get the face paint and the blood. You know, we did a show at Cornerstone. Uh, it, was a lot, it was the last Cornerstone, and it was just Adam and I. So we went all out um, with, like, everyone in my family hunts. So we've got massive amounts of, of deer parts uh, everywhere. 
uh, skulls and antlers and hides and everything. So um, we just covered the stage in in our kills, basically. And it was kind of cool because everything there was something that someone in our family had, had harvested. It wasn't uh, wasn't just stuff we'd picked up, you know, here or there. Um, so, yeah, we we want to do that, you know. And, we, and typically then we also burn incense, you know, at the front of the stage. So there's some sort of smell going on. Um, and while it is about the music, so we try to play our songs as, as well as possible, you know. Um, mm-hmm. We're definitely on the side of we'd rather put on a good show and really wow people than necessarily than play our song perfectly, you know. Um, I know the first couple times that we played, like, Satan, Your Kingdom Must Come Down, you know, I was just headbanging, like, way too much, and I was, like, so drained at the end of that song. It was a really easy song, you know. So, I, I you know, I've had to pull myself back a little to actually be able to play the songs decently, you know, because I just, like, screaming and you know, headbanging, and all all of that stuff that happens when you play a metal show, you know. Um, Adam has ended up on the floor a couple times, you know, and it's not because we're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be like the chariot and go crazy just to go crazy, you know, but we, these songs mean a lot to us, you know, and, you know, I mean, the, the chariot puts on a great show, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking them and what they did, but, um, you know, so we're not just going crazy just to go crazy, you know, but we're going to play these songs and they mean a lot to us and we get really excited about it, you know, and we're singing about really emotionally intense things typically. So it's not hard to just go nuts, you know? Um, and it's like, you know, yeah, if we drove eight hours to go play somewhere and we've got a 45 minute set, we're going to at least have fun, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so, so we, yeah, we like it to be about everything, but all, all five senses, you know, so the people people remember it, you know. We want people to have a good time and we want it to stick in their heads, you know, so that when they go home then and listen to the album or something, it's not just like, oh yes, I saw these guys pull this off flawlessly live. You know, it's like, wow, I really had an experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I I like that idea of uh, engaging more of the senses than just one or two, but, you know, three, four, or five. Uh, Yeah. So we, we still haven't figured out what to do about taste yet. But, you know, we'll see. Unleavened bread. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I got one question, that, and I ask this occasionally, you know, so about what the band would consider, right, doing. So have y'all or would y'all cons- consider starting your own metal festival in the U.S.? Um, because I'm thinking of, of bands we've, you know, talked and alluded to, Crimson Moonlight, uh, Blood Covenant, Extol, Sympathy, Antester, all in one big place, or one place, you know, for everyone to come yeah. and check out. You know, we um, we considered it when, um, when uh, well, not necessarily a metal fest, but a, a heavy music festival, um, because my brother's wife, uh, Simone, worked at uh, Greenlight District Festival in Denmark um, before, before she moved here and everyone actually, that ran that festival is living, I think, in a different country now, except for Levi. Um, so, yeah, she's got experience doing it. You know, they would bring in, like, Blindside and Next Hole and, and things like that. Um, and so when we heard uh, Cornerstone was was going out, you know, we were like, well, shoot, that's, like, 45 minutes from our house. You know, we've gone there since we were, like, 12 or 11, you know. Um, we want to have a, some sort of summer music festival. So we thought about, like, putting something together, but... Um, you know, really, uh, West Central Illinois is not the place to have a metal festival. 
Um, I think there's just not enough people around here, you know, so we would have to get, um, yeah, I think we would probably have to do it in some place like Chicago or something, and I don't, we don't have any sort of connection to Chicago. I think Hilda Ipon hasn't even played Chicago. We've played the suburbs, but we've never actually gotten into Chicago. So I don't know. Logistically, there would be a lot to figure out with that, but I think it would be a really oh, yeah. fun thing to do and something, you know, to bring those bands like Crimson Moonlight over and, um, you know, because we had, we play, um, they, they played Cornerstone, you know, and Drottenar played Cornerstone and Frostharder played Cornerstone. So there was, there was um, Dave Bixler with the Day of Metal brought over a lot of really good bands, you know. Um, but they were kind of working with Cornerstone, you know, who provided the space and everything. So I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not a really a logistics guy when it comes to shows. Um, Adam and I try to avoid setting up shows whenever we can because we're just not any good at it. <laughs> so we, we just uh, try to let, let the pros do that. Um, we, we could, we're just doing what we can to get on the road as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. So are, do you all have any plans to make it down south? I mean, I know a couple of years ago, I think you all played in Denton, I think. Um, so you have any plans to come to Dallas or Fort Worth area? Um, you know, we would like to, uh, cause we, yeah, we were supposed to play in Texas, I think in 2010 and the show on the way there got canceled. And so then it was like, whoa, wow, it's going to be like a 20 hour drive for this show now. And I don't, I don't think we were even going to be able to make it back to the show after that in time, you know, and it was just like, like, so we had to cut like the Texas show, um, or maybe, maybe the Texas show was canceled. I don't really remember. It was it was insanely hot, and I was just kind of like, oh, okay, is that what's happening now? All right, let's go. Um, but yeah, I know. I remember we weren't able to play Texas, and it was it was frustrating. So I was I, I actually I just I presented a paper at a conference in Texas uh, on Prometheus in Black Metal at a Classics conference uh, in April, and so that was like my first time in Texas. And I was really excited. I was un- unfortunately not able to visit a real honky tonk in Texas, but it, it seemed like a good state. I really enjoyed it, and I, so I'd love for Hill and I upon to be able to play there. Um, and I've heard I've heard tours in the South do really well. People always seem to go to shows and be very receptive. So, yep, yep, that is true. That is true. Uh, and I just call it as the world turns. 